0: 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother.
1: Well, amen. Thank you so much, sister, for that. Good morning, Ogletown Baptist. It is a joy to be with you today. Thank you so much, Evan, for Uh, That introduction earlier, as he said, my name is Mark Dooley and uh, it's a privilege to be able to be here today to share the word with you. I I do bring you greetings from the over 400 churches of the BCMD and I just want to thank you for your partnership in ministry. Uh, We partner together in so many multiple ways, but primarily through the cooperative program. The cooperative program enables us to do so much more together together. Than any one church could do on its own. One of the more noticeable and important ways here at Ogletown is through collegiate ministry and your own Nathan Walters and what he's doing down at the University of Delaware. I imagine we have a lot of UDEL students here. Raise your hand if you're from UDEL today. Let's see where you are. Look at that. Praise God. And so, Ogletown. Uh, And by the way, I'm not Nathan's boss anymore. I was for uh, a wonderful number of years, but about a month ago, my job responsibilities changed. And uh, so it was a joy to serve with Nathan on the church services team, but I'm no longer a part of that team. Uh, But I loved being his boss while I was. Uh, But uh, he's doing a great job at UDell, as you can tell by the number of people here. Uh, But you're making that possible. Uh, Because you come to Ogletown Baptist Church and you give your tithes and your offerings to Ogletown Baptist Church. And so you make the ministry of this church possible. But also by giving, you make it possible for this church to give to the cooperative program so that ministry can go out beyond these walls. And can not only uh, involve collegiate ministry like we're talking about here, uh, but things like disaster relief. Disability ministry, camp ministry at Skycroft. There's men's ministry this coming weekend. We'll have a number of men that are gathering down in Annapolis. Last month we had over 400 women who gathered for a conference that we were able to sponsor that you made possible through your giving to your local church so your local church could give to the cooperative program to make those kinds of things possible. And then, of course, there's the national stage, things like international uh, missions work and church planting through the North American Mission Board and theological education uh, through our six Southern Baptist seminaries. Indeed, the cooperative program is the primary mission fuel of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Ogletown has long been a wonderful supporter of the cooperative program. So thank you, Ogletown. Thank you for your wonderful partnership. I said in the first service, and I'll say it again here, if there's any way you want to bless the kingdom of God even more than what you already do, then give more to your church. Give more to your church because that enables the ministry of this church to expand and that frees up even more resources for your church to give beyond itself to to bless the world. And you have been a wonderful, wonderful example of that. And so we thank you very much for that partnership. Now, I know that uh, you have been recently in a, a series entitled, Follow the Servant, specifically the Suffering Servant, and one of the things that that Suffering Servant, Jesus, did is he loved. Even in the midst of his agonizing suffering, we saw him loving We just talked about that in the last few weeks as we've come through the Easter season with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And on that Good Friday as he was up there on that cross, we saw him loving his mother well. Even in the midst of his agonizing suffering, he was committing her care to that of the Apostle John by saying, You know, woman, behold your son, son, behold your woman. And, you know, basically saying, John, take care of my mother. We saw him concerned about the thief on the cross when the thief asked him to remember me. He didn't revile him and say, Dude, I have no right to be up here. I did nothing wrong. You know, you deserve what you're getting. In fact, they recognized that, didn't they? They say, We deserve to be up here but he's done nothing wrong but he said you know today you'll be with me in paradise he loved that man and was more than glad to save his soul and take him to glory with him and of course the greatest way was when he looked upon his torturers when he looked upon his murderers those those who put him on the cross and he said father forgive them they don't even know what they're doing i don't know about you But if somebody was torturing me, if somebody was killing me, I don't think I'd probably be praying for their souls and their forgiveness. I don't think I'd be saying, God, forgive them for what they are doing to me right now. Hopefully I would. Hopefully all of us would be able to follow the example of Jesus in that way. During the earthly sojourn of Jesus, he urged his disciples to love one another. And in John chapter 13, we see the encouragement of that love, the recording of the encouragement of of that love by the apostle of love, John. I'm going to read John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 to kick us off for our, our message today. This is one of the one another's of Scripture. I say one of the one another's because there are at least 93 verses in the New Testament that use that phrase, one another. As Ogletown Baptist is in transition, I think one of the greatest things you can do, church, is to love one another. And so that's what I want us to consider today. I want us to look at what Jesus said about this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let me just read that passage for us. You'll see it up on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. The scripture says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As you heard here, the scripture says we are to love one another, but the scripture also says things like serve one another, forgive one another, honor one another, instruct one another, and many other things it says about one another. Now, we obviously don't have time to look at all of those today, but I would encourage you to do that study on your own at some point. Just pull up the phrase, do a a Google search for the phrase one another in scripture, and you'll pull up hundreds of references at least 93 unique references to that and you can read through the scripture passages and study what the scripture says about how we are to relate to one another today's passage from john's gospel is but one of 14 occurrences of that phrase one another in this gospel there are 80 others scattered throughout the rest of the new testament Jesus is speaking here in John 13 to his disciples about this. And if ever there was anything that we needed today, I think it's the understanding of exactly what it means to love one another. That's true not only in our culture. We can look out at our culture and, and, and the anger that exists in our world today, and we can see that. That's, that's manifestly evident. But it's true not only in our culture. I think it's true even in the church. I mean, think about it. These disciples that Jesus is talking to here, they'd come from different backgrounds. They were quite a diverse group. There was Peter, who was gregarious and loud, as opposed to John, who was gentle and loving. Simon the Zealot, one of the apostles, was a a political rebel, while Matthew, the tax collector, was a political conspirator. Andrew was daring. Thomas was doubting. On and on we could go with the differences among this group. They they were probably about as diverse a group as this group gathered here. If we were to all sit around the table and talk at lunch we would find lots of things that that we differ on differing political perspectives differing economic philosophies differing religious ideas uh, differing athletic teams that we like some, some of you probably like the Ravens I don't know why but you might uh, if you have good taste you'll like the Eagles I spent 11 years living in Philadelphia so hopefully there are more Philadelphia sports fans around here than than there are others but we got different Differences, You know, at the end of the day, do those kinds of things really matter? Uh, no, they, they don't. Jesus is telling his disciples here that, that love would overcome the differences that they, that they had. In fact, as, as Jesus spoke these words to them, Calvary was just a few days away. Now, we've just come through celebrating that with uh, death, burial, and resurrection of, of Christ with Good Friday and East, Easter Sunday. You know, but they're on the front side of Calvary at this time. You know, They're near the time when they're going to need each other. And so love was going to be paramount. So we see here Jesus encouraging them to cast their differences into love's wide sea. Friends, we still need one another today. You know, if, if you've not faced any struggle or difficulty in your life, mark it down, you will. It will come. Difficult times will come. And when we have times of struggle and difficulty, we need one another. If you have, your life has just been cruising along and, and you have a plan marked out and you've never had a question about the way you're going to go, get ready. There are going to come some uncertain times that you're not going to know what's next down the road. Life's going to take a twist or a turn that you weren't expecting. When those times of uncertainty come, we need one another. Even when things are going well, we still need one another. This admonition to love one another is timeless and applicable to all of us, regardless of our circumstances, our context, or our culture. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at these verses. We're actually going to look at them twice, We're going to see what they say about love. And then we're going to go back and we're going to look at them again in the context of the phrase one another. So really, maybe you're going to get two messages today. A message on love and a message on one another. But don't worry, it's really only half a message and half a message. So it's still just one whole message. We'll just look at the the verses twice as we work our way through loving one another. So let's begin with love defined. Let's look at that phrase first, love defined. When I I think of love, I think of all the songs I've heard over the years about love. Now I'm going to date myself, most of you in this room aren't going to recognize some of this music, maybe you've heard it on the oldie station these days, Uh, but I I think first of songs that I remember as a a wee little kid, songs by the Beatles like, All You Need Is Love. Anyone else besides me here remember, live during that song, someone help me out here? Okay, I see just a spattering of hands going up, so just a few of us gray heads that will remember the Beatles when they were in their prominence singing, All You Need Is Love love and then in that same era for those who are into Motown there was Baby Love by the Supremes and of course there's Love Story by Taylor Swift for those who like country at least she used to be country she's kind of not in that genre anymore is she if you like the pop of the 70s maybe you'll remember Love Will Keep Us Together by the Captain and Tennille There's Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen for those who are more classic rock fans, which is really my genre of preference if I'm being uh, true to who I really am. Whitney Houston saying I Will Always Love You for fans of adult contemporary. And who remembers the Bee Gees? They were more of a disco sound, but they also had slower songs like How Deep Is Your Love. And we haven't even scratched the surface yet talking about these songs about love. There are a plethora of songs about love. But most of these songs present a picture of love far different than what the Bible does. What is true about the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here? Well, today I want you to notice three things about this love as we define it. First of all, notice that it's new. It's new. Jesus, in verse 34, speaks of a new command. That new command is the command to love. Now, the word new there isn't referring to new in time as this has never been around before, but, but rather it's new in experience. It means fresh. The command to love had existed for ages. We could go all the way back into the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, which was written hundreds of years prior to this, which reminded people to love your neighbor as yourself. But this is to be a kind of love that has as its foundation an abiding relationship with the living Lord. Anything less than that can't produce the fresh experience of love that Jesus is referring to here. So the, the most important question to really address today is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you trusted him and received him into your life as the Lord and Savior of your life. Until you have first done that, you simply can't possess the kind of capacity to love in this way. I'm not saying you can't love. There are plenty of people who are not Christians that love. You know, I'm talking about the kind of love that that Jesus is talking about here. And we're going to delve into that just a little bit more here in just a second. You know, it's only possible to love this way Because of his presence in our life. Just like we heard read earlier from 1 John chapter 4. As John's writing his first letter. 1 John 4, 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. And so true love begins with the love of God given to us. And put within our hearts through Christ. That then flows out from us to others. So friend, I I implore you today before you think about another word I say, examine your heart and life and make sure that you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And and if you haven't, do so right now. Don't wait till the end of this service. Don't wait till tonight. Don't wait till this coming weekend. Don't wait another moment. Trust Him right now. Call out to Him and ask Him to save you. A born-again experience with Jesus is indeed the starting position for any possibility of this kind of love. It is new. But would you notice, not only is it new, this kind of love is sacrificial as well. Look again at verse 34. Jesus says we are to love just as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? Well, he showed his love in supreme fashion by being willing to die in our place. His death was substitutionary. He went to the cross when we should have been the ones to pay that price. Listen, friends, nothing says love any louder than Calvary. The cross is God's timeless cry through the corridors of the ages, expressing to you and me, to Adam's helpless race, that he not only loves us, but he has provided redemption for us in his Son. Years ago, when I first went into ministry straight out of college in 1984, my wife, she was my girlfriend then. We eventually got married in 1986, but we worked together with leading children's worship in in the church that I was serving as a youth pastor, and there was a little children's song that we had the children of that church singing almost every Sunday, and the words simply said, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And folks, that someone is Jesus. His death paid the penalty for our sins, and it demonstrated the greatest act of love there ever was. As Jesus would later say just two chapters after this, in John chapter 15 and verse 13, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for his friends, his disciples. But you know who else he laid his life down for? He laid it down for you. You simply must believe that and trust in that. Jesus loves you that much. His love is new. His love is sacrificial. But but the kind of love that he's talking about here is not only new and not only sacrificial, it is visible as well. Look at verse 35. Jesus speaks here in verse 35 of people knowing that we belong to him because they see the visible evidence of that in our love one for another. He says that will lead people to know that we belong to him. That word no is very important. Let's let's consider that word for just a few minutes and see what it's saying to us here. There are several Greek words that are translated no in the New Testament, but two of them are predominant. So, so indulge me for just a very brief Greek lesson here. There's the, the Greek word gnosko, and there's the Greek word oida, and, and they are very different, but they're both generally translated with the same English word, that being "know." Gnosko frequently suggest inception, the beginning of knowledge, or progress in knowledge, whereas oida suggests fullness of knowledge. Let me illustrate the, the difference between these two words by taking you back just a little bit earlier in chapter 13. Look, look back at, at verse 7 maybe if you remember the context of what's happening in the early part of chapter 13 this will come into sharper focus there Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and and when he gets to to Peter what does Peter do he he puts up his hands he's like whoa 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 no way lord you will never wash my feet he he starts to stop him and and look at what Jesus says to him it's in the King James translated, "What I do, what I do, you know not now, but you shall know hereafter." You hear that double "no." You know that no, word "no" being used twice, but it's actually both of those Greek words being used. He uses "gnosko" at first, and then he uses "oida." And so the more modern translations like the CSB and the ESV pick up on this. And that's why they translate it, what I'm doing, you don't realize now. Oida's first, actually, not Gnosko. What I'm doing now, you don't realize. You don't, Oida, you don't, you don't have a full and a complete picture, Peter. You don't see the whole thing right now. But he says, but afterward, you will Gnosko. Afterward, you will understand Afterward, you will come to know. You will begin to know, and you will, you will grow in that. You don't get it right now, but, but you will. So that's the difference between gnosko and oida. Beginning of knowledge, fullness of knowledge. In verse 35, when Jesus says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, he uses that word gnosko. It refers to the beginning of knowledge. People will begin to know who I am and, and, and how you belong to me. So this signifies the evangelistic power of love. People see the difference in our lives whenever we are loving people who are loving one another. And, and they begin to ask the question, what makes that difference in your life? How can you respond that way? How can you do that? I wouldn't do that. I'd slap them into tomorrow. And here you are loving them. I don't get it. Open door. Open door. They've just opened it up and said, come and tell me about Jesus. Because he's the one who makes it possible for you to do that. This is the evangelistic power of love. Uh, loving others can be one of the greatest means of sharing the gospel. But conversely, an unloving, critical, and nasty spirit can be a barrier or a hindrance to evangelism. You know, the love that our culture Focuses on is is inward. If if you think about it, now everything that all those songs I was naming earlier, if if you listen to those, they're they're all looking inward. That's well illustrated, especially by that Whitney Houston song, "The Greatest Love of All" is learning to love yourself. That's what she says. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Really, is 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 that the greatest love that I love myself? I don't think so. You know, the greatest love is not a what's in it for me that I need to love myself. You know, the Bible looks at love in an outward fashion. Consider others more important than yourself, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. And then, of course, there's that great Bible verse that probably most, if not all of us in this room, have memorized. John 3, 16. Just say the first half of it with me if you know it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave He gave. This is what God did. This is how God demonstrated his love toward us. He gave us his son who came and died in our place. You've probably also heard the distinctions between the types of love in the Greek language. There are four words that are used in the Greek language, three of them that are used in the Bible, but there's actually a fourth Greek word. One of them is not used in the Bible. Astorge, which is familial love. That's not used in the Bible. But then there's phileo, which is translated friendship, friendship love. There's eros, which is romantic love. And then, of course, there's agape Which is sacrificial love that considers the other completely and considers self not at all. Of course, the love of God is always referred to with agape because he's always considering us and our good and looking out for us and seeking what's best for us. The type of love that the the world sings about and that the world promotes is phileo or eros, eros or phileo at best, it's never agape. But the kind of love that God calls us to is selfless, sacrificial love. That kind of love is so visible, so distinct, so unique from the world's perspective that it causes others to stand up and take notice. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is love defined. But I want to go back and I want to look at these two verses one more time. And I want us to see one another demonstrate it one another demonstrate it one another speaks of unity and the bible has so much to say about unity that it's nearly impossible to know where to begin i I think immediately of that passage in psalm 133 verse 1 begins this way how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in harmony I also think about the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Just a few chapters beyond where we are today in John 13. That high priestly prayer is in, in John 17. And, and look at how Jesus prays there for unity among the believers in verses 20 and 21. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Do, do you get what he's doing there? Jesus says, I'm not only praying for these these guys right here my immediate group, my immediate disciples. But I'm praying for those who believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me. We've believed in him through their word that's been recorded for us. So Jesus is praying for us in John 17. And look at what he says. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. How can we demonstrate the unity for which Jesus prayed and that he speaks about in our passage here in John 13. Well, I think there are three things we need to consider in that regard. Let's consider first the instruction to unity. I call it an instruction, the scripture calls it a command, a new command, Jesus speaks of. This command is, uh, it signifies that it's something that, that we're being charged to do. This, this isn't optional. This isn't something that Jesus says, well, you can be united with this person and that person, but those over there, yeah, you can take them or leave them if you want. It would be the same thing as if I said, you know what, I like the people on the sides over here, so I'm going to preach to you all, but you folks in the middle don't want anything to do with you. So I'm just going to give all my attention to the folks right here and all my attention over here. Now, now the folks on the corners might like it. I'd get kind of dizzy going back and forth playing ping pong like that, you know, but I don't want to leave anyone out because it's not optional. You know, we're called to not just love some, we're called to love and be united with with everyone. I've found myself in situations directly related to this. I remember being part of a leadership group in the BCMD some years back that made a difficult personnel decision. I was serving as the President of our General Mission Board. Evan is, are you still on that right now? So Evan's currently on that. Uh, we had a difficult decision to make. Uh, by the way, I was followed in that position by someone I think you may be familiar with. A guy by the name of Curtis Hill was the president of that General Mission Board immediately after me. And uh, But I don't think Curtis had to go through what, what we were. He wasn't on the General Mission Board yet, if I remember right. When we were dealing with this personnel decision that was was just... Uh, Very difficult to make, but it was a a decision that was made by a duly elected leadership group. And from my observation, about 98% of the people involved were accepting of that decision. But there was a vocal minority that was not. And so they uh, began to engage in an email campaign that created a lot of division. They posted passive, aggressive, and otherwise veiled things on social media. And in, in short, they were totally unaccepting of the decision that was made. I know one person who who described them as acting like a bunch of middle school girls, but when I say that, I need to immediately apologize to any middle school girl that's in here, or any middle school girl any of you have ever known, because every middle school girl I've ever known acted a heck of a lot more mature than these adults were acting in that decision, and it was just a really, really difficult situation that we were in the midst of, And, and Here's what I want to say with that, folks. Causing division and heartache, because that's what was happening here. Causing division and heartache within the body of Christ is, is shameful. I've been in ministry almost 39 years. June will be 39 years that I've been in ministry. And over almost 39 years of ministry, my experience has been that usually the deepest hurts come because we don't get our selfish way. We don't get our selfish way. Let me, let me try to illustrate this for you in a way that maybe you can understand. I know that you are in search mode right now. You are in need of a senior pastor. And, and the church is currently in the midst of going through the process and, and, and all of that. Please know that we are praying for you. And many people are praying for God to lead and to guide this process. And, and we will continue to do that because that, that can get thorny. This can be ripe ground for the enemy to to insert division and for the enemy to in, insert dissension. I, I remember a number of years ago, it was about 11 or 12 years ago, the church that I was pastoring, we were searching for an, a, an associate pastor. We, we wanted somebody to come and, and to lead a, a work that we had. We had a, a, an alternate site. Uh, we were a multi-site church at that time, but the idea was that that church was going to be planted as, as its own congregation. So we wanted somebody with pastoral experience who could come and who could lead that until such time that we were ready to plant, which we found a, a wonderful man. And he came and he served admirably. And then we planted that church in 2015. He's still the pastor there today. He's my oldest daughter's pastor and my son-in-law's pastor, a, a dear friend in the ministry. And so I thank God for that. But in the midst of that, there was a deacon of our church who decided he wanted to be the pastor. Zero pastoral experience, had preached like two sermons in his entire life, but he thought, I'm the right man for it. And, and there was a leadership in the church that told him, you're not under consideration and we had a search committee that he had two advocates on that search committee. And, and the rest, the five of the search committee members, you know, knew that he wasn't the right man for the job. But they continued to try to push him in their agenda to, to try to get him to be the next associate pastor. And when it became clear that he was not even going to be considered, they said, well, we quit. We don't want anything to do with it anymore. And so they, they stepped off. And so there were some who were like, oh my goodness, do we have to start the process over? I said, no, we need to just continue forging on. We'll, we'll have a committee of five instead of a committee of seven. But this is what happens many times in churches. You know, we want our own way. And when we don't get our own way, we seek to cause conflict and, and stir up dissension or else we can submit to the decision that's made and move on and, and keep peace. And we are called to unity. So, so I share that just simply to say that no church is immune from that because that was happening in a very healthy church. The church I served was, was very healthy and still is to this day, but still even healthy churches can, can deal with this kind of stuff. Sometimes it's unhealthy churches that are seeing all kinds of disunity. I had a friend in ministry in another state. This was five or six years ago. And he endured an unspeakable tragedy. His adult-age son perished in a house fire. Can you imagine that? Your adult-age son is asleep, the house catches on fire and burns down, and he dies. And as he's suffering through that, as he's dealing with that, he's still trying to pastor his church and to lead his church. His church erupts in conflict over, get this, this was the source of the conflict— these were during the days when you still took up the offering, passed the plate, took it up, you know, and they would carry it back forward. And, and the conflict was, after the offering is over, should we sing the doxology or should we sing a praise chorus? Some in the church said we have to sing the doxology. Some said we should sing a praise chorus. And conflict erupted over that. How in the world, when, when you are crushed in your soul and you're just trying to lead do do you lead in the midst of such selfish, childish attitudes? Sad's the only word I can think of to describe that. You know, there's a difference between expressing our opinion and becoming a source of division. You can have an opinion about whether you should sing the doxology or whether you should sing a praise course. You, You can even express that. We should feel free to express our perspectives. Sometimes those perspectives are heard and they're heated. Other times, they may be considered, but an alternate path may be taken. Unless it's a matter of scriptural fidelity or doctrinal integrity, we should be accepting of whatever decision our leaders make. Because the scripture calls us to unity. And nothing will disrupt any unity any more than being selfish and saying, it's going to be my way or I'm going to raise a stink. We are charged through this new command to love One another. But let's not only consider uh, this uh, of unity, let's consider the illustration of unity that we see as well, the instruction to unity. Let's consider the illustration of unity. And the illustration is clear here in verse 34. Jesus is the illustration. We're to love one another the same way that He loved us, just as I have loved you, He says. And how did He love us? Well, we've already talked about that, haven't we? He died in our place. He he demonstrated love by dying for us. If you go back earlier in the chapter, you see the context for this, and we talked about that too. It was the washing of the disciples' feet. In fact, chapter 13 begins with this statement, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus never stopped loving. We must never stop loving. Friends, there's No greater illustration of unity within the body than brothers and sisters in Christ who willingly and selflessly sacrifice to serve one another. Maybe you've heard of Presbyterian pastor Brian Chappelle. He tells a story that once happened in his hometown. There were these two brothers who were out playing on the sandbanks by the river. And one ran up after another on this large mound of sand. But unfortunately, the sand wasn't solid. And and their weight caused them to sink in quickly. Eventually it was time for dinner and the boys hadn't come home and it was time for them to be home. And mom and dad began to get worried because they were always home on time, but they weren't home that day. So they organized a search party and they went out and they began to look. And they found the younger brother unconscious with his head and shoulders barely sticking out of the sand. And so they began to reach up and to grab the sand away until they covered him uncovered him up to about his waist. And he woke up about that time. They, they helped him to regain consciousness. And they said, your brother, where's your brother? And he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. That was how he survived, by standing on the shoulders of his brother who had freely given himself as a sacrifice for his own brother so that his brother could live. Now, of course, some might argue and say that, well, those are brothers. Of course, one would be willing to sacrifice for their brothers, but church We have a spiritual kinship in Christ that's every bit as strong as the physical ties that bind. I'm intending in no way to diminish the love of family. I'm just simply desiring to exalt the love that we should have within the family of God. We should love one another that much, just the way that Jesus has loved us. What happens when we do? Well, would you notice finally with me today the impact of unity? Look at verse 35 one last time. What happens when we truly love one another? Jesus said it leads all people to know that we belong to him. We've talked about that already. The early church father, Tertullian, who lived in 155 to 240 A.D. is noted for recording how unbelievers said of Christians, see how they love one another. They were just amazed at the love that they had one for another. What an amazing testimony. Oh, that people would look at us, that people would look at Mark Dooley and say, see how he loves all people. But just a little more than a 100 years after Tertullian, there was another church father by the name of Chrysostom. He lived 349 to 407 A.D., and this is what he wrote. It was a complaint He said, quote, Christians show all too little love. Even now there is nothing else that causes the heathen to stumble except that there is no love, end quote. What in the world was the difference in just a hundred years' time? Well, I don't know the answer to that any more than I know why I sometimes can be a very loving individual and other times I can be anything but loving. But what this shows us is this. The world is watching. When we are faithful to love one another, others take notice. But when we are faithless and we bite and devour one another, the world also takes notice. What are others seeing when they look at you? What are they seeing when they look at me? Are they seeing people that love? Or are they seeing people that do everything but love? Commentator John Phillips says this and I quote him. He says, quote, the badge of true discipleship is not in the doctrinal statements to which we subscribe. Let me stop there. Doctrine matters. I love that song, Nathan, about, you know, I believe, I believe, I believe. We should believe some things. There are some things that are of primary importance that matter, that we must believe. So don't hear me saying doctrine is unimportant, in quoting Phillips on this. But let me get back to the quote. The badge of true discipleship is not in the doctrinal statements. That we subscribe to, not in the types of hymns and music we prefer, not in the rituals we observe or the ordinances we cherish, not in our soul-winning zeal or our faithfulness to the churches of our choice, but it is in our love for all those who love the Lord End quote." That's what shows true discipleship, that we love one another by this: Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, let's be people. Who love the Lord. I read about a pastor who studied, he, he prayed, he prepared diligently for his message. He, he was excited to deliver what, what he thought was a well-crafted and a well-worded sermon for the congregation. And as he was sitting over on the pew preparing to, to go up into the pulpit, he, he just sensed God speaking to his spirit and saying, how many times have you preached on this passage? And in his mind, he answered, oh, about a dozen or so, I guess, Lord. And then as he got up to, to walk up the steps, to go to the podium and deliver that message, he sensed God saying in his spirit one more time, and did any of them do any good? And that just froze him in his tracks. He didn't know what to do. He realized right then that, that, that what appeared as inspirational words only just a few days prior were now just the sounds of a clanging gone. And so he he stood, and he he just stood there for a few minutes, and he looked out over the congregation. He, He saw people he knew well, people he had baptized, people he had visited in the hospital, people he had counseled through struggles. And finally, he just simply said, love one another. And with that, he turned and he walked off the platform and went back to his seat. And the people just sat there in motionless silence. They knew what to do with the sounds of worship, but they were clueless. What to do with the awkward silence. So the pastor got up again. He walked to the podium where he stood there. And again, all he knew to do is he just repeated those words. Love one another. And then again, he walked back to a seat. This time... Heads began to turn from side to side. People were looking at one another, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. What are we supposed to do now? Some were shrugging, eyebrows were raised. And and so the pastor got up, and, and he went to the podium for a third time. And he seemed to make eye contact with almost everybody in the congregation as he looked out over every area. And for the third time, he looked at them, and he said, Love one another. And again, he went to a seat. Suddenly, there was a man over on this side who stood up and he said, I know what the pastor is saying. He's saying that we're supposed to love one another, but how can I love this man sitting right here next to me if I don't even know his name? And with that he stuck out his hand and he introduced himself to his neighbor. And there was another person sitting kind of in the back toward the left who, who stood up and said, I get it. I'm supposed to love Carlos, but how can I love Carlos when for months we haven't even spoken to one another because we had a disagreement. And he walked to the other side of the sanctuary and he grabbed Carlos by the hand and they went to the back and they began to hug one another, and they began to talk with one another, and the floodgates were opened. People got up out of their pews, and they began to circulate. They began to ask each other what they could do for one another. That Sunday, incredible things happened at that church. A husband and a wife were visiting the church because they'd come to the city seeking medical treatment for their little girl, but they didn't have enough money to, to get home, and so somebody purchased plane fare for them to be able to, to fly back home. And then there was another young man who was looking for a job, and someone found out about it, and he knew a business owner who needed help, and so he he got the two of them linked up, and the young man got a job, and the business owner got the help that he was needed, needing. That day, a powerful sermon was delivered delivered through the actions of the people in that church. It wasn't the eloquence of the preaching. That was only three short words. Love one another. You think I preached long because I went through it twice. He went through it three times. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. It was the actions that resulted from obedience to those words. Folks, I've already said far too much. Let's let's not just preach our 30 to 35-minute sermons delivered by one person, but let's preach with the actions of loving one another. By this, all people will know that we belong to Jesus. He is our hope in life and in death. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing that song before we dismiss today. Christ, our hope in life and death. Let's sing that like we mean it, and then let's love one another.